Welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silver. We've had the chance to interview several legendary live sports and TV documentary directors and producers. On this episode, we're joined by James Erskine, our first guest who's in the business of directing films for theatrical release on the big screen. James, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Where you are, and I know this is a podcast so people can't see it, the sun is shining there which is the afternoon and where I am here in North America, sun is shining as well. It's a great day and hopefully spring and better times are ahead for all of us. Hopefully, yeah, blue skies here today. So the, the End of the Storm was released a few months back and you've done several interviews about the film. With our time today, I'd like to hear the story behind the story. And let's just start with an obvious question to get warmed up. Why did you make the film? Well, I, I, I made the film because I thought that it was... Um... You know this this conundrum that Liverpool had that they hadn't won the uh, league for thirty years. You know seemed to be gnawing away at the essence of of their fan base. You know it's kind of extraordinary that a club that was so so large and so powerful in the eighties has had had such um, sorrowful times and then had sort of emerged but never kind of managed to capture the Premier League. And I thought that was I thought it was really interesting because you could you could explore this club that wasn't in a way was trying to win the Premier League for the first time, but of course we won the first division lots and had, had fans that, you know, stretch back decades, you know, I support Man City, you know, we don't traditionally have a large uh, global fan base that sort of came around in the last decade, but, you know, for Liverpool fans, it was, it was an opportunity to explore how a football club and its ups and downs could resonate uh, to a global fan base, not just uh, a local one. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And it, it was it was a powerful film. I've watched uh, at this point a few different features just about Liverpool and the Championship, n- not not just your your film. And and you've kind of already answered the question, but I want to ask ask it a little in a little bit of a different way. So as you were developing the concept for the film, why did telling the story of the global fan base become so central? To the piece that you were creating uh, uh, to be honest the, the essence of this was actually to um make a film that encapsulated the global the global fan base we didn't start with the principle of it's only about jürgen klopp or it's only about the players or it's only about liverpool we really wanted to what i'm really interested in is the emotional connection that sport has and how it connects people together sometimes just for joy in this case other times in creating sort of political ideas or social movements. And so for me, it was always important. This film was going to try and see, see this um, emotion, how, 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 how a single positive emotion could sort of reverberate uh, around the world. And it became, in the process, it became more resonant because the pandemic arrived in the middle of the season. And so it became not just about people connecting in spite of their different circumstances in their love of Liverpool Football Club, it became about people sort of connecting in their experience of how they um, uh, uh, were consuming football or consuming soccer, as you say, and 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 um, feeling this emotion. I mean, and actually, the very extraordinary thing of 
you know, just as much as Jerry in Wuhan couldn't leave his house, neither could Jordan in, in Merseyside, you know, and there's an interesting kind of dynamic where this kind of, which I think is at the heart of the film is that it really, it explores that journey into the journey of fandom and hope and the journey of the players and the managers hope into what happens when it all goes away, you know, uh, uh, and then what happens when it all comes back and, and, and sort of in a way unifies this incredibly diverse casting in, in, a, in, a, in a clearer way. Now, the, the way that you created the film, and I think we're, we're going to get to that in, in a couple of questions that I have for you was, was, was very powerful. But before we, before we get into that, I want to kind of establish the, the, the genre and the theme a little bit. We've been fortunate to have HBO's 24-7 and then ESPN's 30 for 30, of course. Then on Netflix, and I'm sure you've watched Sunderland Till I Die, and then thinking about North American sport, you know, The Last Dance, and that was something that, that was huge huge over here. So I've seen, you know, all those documentaries. Obviously, I've seen your film that we're talking about here today. I've also seen This is Football about Messi and I'm I'm glad I connected you from that from that piece to to this film that you're doing cuz for me it resonated. I was watching that without even knowing I was going to be interviewing you. So th- thinking about my thoughts on how your your style is very different from what I've seen out of these these I'd say more focused North American pieces, you know, as the creator can you tell us how you think your story is different and how you tell stories in this genre? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were very specific with this film that we didn't want it to be All or Nothing, you know? I mean, All or Nothing is a great sporting franchise, television franchise, you know, and it does a very specific thing. But it, it very much focuses on the internal mechanisms, the internal structure of a sporting organisation, be that a... Uh, an American football team or a British soccer team <clears throat> uh, uh, or the Brazilian national team, for example, or a cricket team or, or wherever else they do that. What I'm interested in and what I was keen to explore was, you know, sort of what it means in a way, what it means beyond winning trophies, what it means to to people beyond the protagonists. Um, and also in in... When we are talking to the to, to the protagonists, the players, the actors in the piece, what it means to them on an emotional level that's not about, you know, the medals that they have around their neck, but more about their own sort of identity. You know, that I guess that's what I'm really interested in. I mean, you know, This Is Football was a series that I created um, and oversaw the entire series. And we made two films in that which are relevant to this. One was the first film, which was, about the Rwandan genocide, but seen through the lens of three Liverpool FC fans. Uh, uh, um, and that was sort of, it was actually because of that film had been seen by Klopp and by Mike Gordon, the president of, of Liverpool, that they were uh, assured about our presence uh, uh, at Liverpool and our sort of intent. Um, and also the Messi film that you talk about, where we look at Messi as almost like uh, Michelangelo's David as a work of art of which people comment and admire uh, um, and so I guess in a way, this film was trying to fuse those two ideas together uh, and really look at, you know, what does it feel like? You know, I mean, I don't think, you know, for all the power of all or nothing is that they're very structured, you know, they're aiming for like to give you the drama, to give you the drama behind the scenes. This is more about what does it feel like to be there? What does it mean? And, 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 and sort of more of a kind of classic sort of film film narrative, you know, a three-act structure and that's where it's about character resolution rather than, you know, the ups and downs of a season. 
Oh, it was, it was fabulous. I, I really appreciate the format and the, the difference between that and some of the other content that I've already, that I've already mentioned. I'm going to ask you more, maybe a little business side question of, 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 of the, of the works. And, and that's, you know, at what point did you know that you wanted to have more of a kind of theatrical theater release? I mean, even though that'll happen kind of after COVID versus a, you know, a Netflix or an Amazon distribution and, and how, and basically how involved do you get in that decision, you know, versus kind of the, the executive producers and, and the people who are funding the project? Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's something which was always planned at the beginning. I mean, a lot of my work is theatrical um, or has a theatrical interface, be it, uh, I mean, this is football is, is an exception actually, but other films I've made about Sachin Tendulkar, the cricketer or, or Billie Jean King or, 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 or um, or various other Billy Billy Holiday was my was my last film, which was theatrical. But you know, my films are generally intended for theatrical release, and we want to give people that experience, ideally, of um, seeing it with a group of people. You know, obviously, streaming is great. You know, and, and watching stuff at home is great. But the experience of sport and the experience of cinema, in some ways, are very similar. You know, there's a there's a thrill of going. You know, it's great watching football on television, of course, watching soccer on TV, but you know that human contact and that human thrill of going to the stadium. And I guess we wanted people to be able to try and recreate that uh, um, in the cinema, you know, that shared shared moment. I mean, the, in the end, you know, the, the pandemic ran right into us and the only place where we were able to do significant theatrical so far was in Australia, you know, where it worked really well, you know, I mean, it was really appreciated in that format, but yeah, we're in, we're in very difficult times for the theatrical space. Yeah, listen, I, I think that luckily, I think the, the crossover that you have in the, in the format and the audience that it's going to reach or reaches, and I, I don't think they care that it's not in the theater. And, and hopefully you, you've seen the, uh, you've seen the success uh, of what you've already put out there. And, and hopefully it you know, just grows as, uh, as we kind of get back to some normal, hopefully later this year. Yeah. In prepping for our chat today, I also watched BBC's documentary, The 30 Year Wait. And clearly you know, a very different piece of work than, than, than what you have. Um, how tough was it to coordinate access to the, to the club uh, when I'm sure there's so much demand for, for the time, especially during COVID after that hit? Um, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, the, the, we were sort of making it with the club. So we had access agreed. COVID made it very difficult because of, you know, especially this was a year ago, you know, when nobody really knew very much about COVID and there's a great amount of fear and, you know, the very worst thing that could have happened for Liverpool would be my film crew turning up and giving COVID to Mo Salah. That would have been like, you know, yeah. a very, a very bad scene. So we had to work, um, you know, very tight protocols. We had to do a lot of remote filming, you know, which we also had to do in our, you know, we didn't film, you know, I had a local crew in Wuhan film, you know, cause it's not possible for me to go to, to China, you know, um, we, it wasn't so much a competition with other, I mean, the BBC didn't really have any, any access, you know, I think they had like 10 minutes of Klopp and five minutes of Jordan Henderson I, 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 and five minutes of Mo Salah. We, we had considerably more. So I, I don't think it was a question of fighting for the access. It was more, how do we get the time in a safe way around the, you know, when a team is in a bubble, you know, and needs to stay in a bubble, not just because it's Liverpool's rules, because it's the Premier League's rules, and it's because it's UEFA's rules and, and, and all these things. 
thinking about North American sport, and I'm not going to test you on all the teams and uh, and their histories, uh, and, I, and you're not going to test me on all the Premier League teams either, okay? Deal? Um, but there's a couple of stories that come to mind. I mean, there's a, there's a famous team in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills, who made it to four Super Bowls in a row and, you know, never, never, never won the title through that stretch. You know, there's the Boston Red Sox and the Curse of the Bambino, and, mm-hmm. you know, they ended up winning uh, – a world series coming out of the, the bombing attacks around the Boston marathon and, and the Boston strong kind of community togetherness that was created out of that. The story with, with Liverpool is, is a different story. Clearly the tragedies of years gone by and, and from what, from what I was able to learn um, about it, you know, just that the resolution and, um, within the community of Liverpool related to those tragedies in the past. I mean, it's still not, completely there i think back in 2016 there was there was some amends made but how how much does does that legacy of, of tragedy combined with the, you know the thrill of victory and accomplishment go, go into this piece yeah i think that um look liverpool as a city over the last 30 years has had some significant 40 years really 40 50 years you know liverpool was a great port and that, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, it fell into pretty much destitution. And that was coupled with, you know, actually having a great football club that made the city proud, you know, in the early 80s and winning the European Cup a number of times. Uh, now the Champions League, of course, um, you know, but then the disasters at Heysel and, and, and Hillsborough, uh, um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of pain there still, you know. I think particularly around Hillsborough, there's a lot of pain and a feeling like, why do the why do the bad things have to happen to us, you know? And, and, and you know, what sport is is it's it's something for us to believe in and something to, to unite around and also something to put our positive emotions and to feed off. You know, if your team wins, you feel good for a while. You know, everyone, whether they're a fan of the Boston Red Sox or or, or, or Liverpool, you know, that's what fandom is. It's getting a kick, and if your team loses you feel bad, you know, and if everything else in the world is kicking you down, it's not great if your team loses as well. So I think, you know, it's the hope of a better day, isn't it? It's the hope of the moment. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the way that the, the relationship between the community and the clubs in the Premier League, I mean, I, that's, that's something I don't think that we see to the same degree here, here in North America, mostly because the, the geography, you know, you're, you're playing on a, in a country where the teams are really not that spread apart. It's more like neighborhood to neighborhood, especially when you get into some cities, um, you know? Yeah, I think, I think so. But also it's, it's also about, you know, you know, these are, these are, these are rare events, you know, winning a world series, winning a world cup in soccer, winning a champions league or, or the premier league. These are, these are events that become markers in your life. You know, if you're a fan, you know, and I think, you know, the one year in 30 when you win the Premier League is a year you're already going to remember, you know, the other 29 are going to blend, blend together, you know, and actually I think that's the sort of mark of like, yeah, things can, whatever happens, no matter how bad it goes, there is redemption, you know, and uh, the human experience has redemption at its heart. And that's what, you know, sporting redemption is a big narrative form that we, we, we uh, have come to depend on as human beings. Yeah, and that nostalgia. I mean, I can speak to where, where Andrew and I are, you know, in Toronto and Canada and uh, you know, the, the, the NBA team here, the Raptors did win a championship after not, not being able to get by um, 
you know, LeBron James for years and years when he was uh, playing in the, in, in the Eastern division. Um, and then we had our, our baseball team here won like 25 years ago. And uh, we were considered one of the worst sports cities on the, uh, on the continent for a long time. Uh, and our hockey team, we don't even want to talk about that. Um, now the format that, that you had, there, there was a lot of emphasis on, on the manager, on, on, on Jurgen, and, um, and, you know, comparing that to, you know, North American sport. And, and I've seen this before in, in other, in other content coming out of the premiership and, and certainly other, other leagues in, in Europe, other football leagues that, that emphasis on the manager is actually, it's a little foreign to us over here, just how important that is for the community and the connection between the manager and, and, and the supporters. How did, why did you focus so much on that? Well, I think, I mean, in, in the case of, of, of Liverpool, you know, Jurgen Klopp is not only one of the most gifted managers on the planet, he's also one of the most charismatic, if not the most charismatic. You know, he's also incredibly honest and willing to talk or talk to us, you know, at length about his experience. And, and so, you know, in casting a movie, you need a star, right? And he was the obvious star of the show. <laughs> to speak to your wider point about why it's so predominant in, in, in British sport, American sport to me seems, I mean, you know, I say American in the widest sense, but certainly, you know, football and, 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 and uh, basketball and baseball, you know, they've had long, uh, for a long time, they focused on strategy and had lots of coaches and specific coaches and had sort of systems in place that are sort of the truth of, of that, that particular club. Uh, uh, um, in the UK and and in Europe, it's it's slightly less so now. But you know, the court of the manager is everything. You know, the managers. You know, Alex Ferguson would have a say about everything, and so I think there is that that power is given. They're, they're like the directors of the movie. You know, they uh, they get to have a say on everything. You know, and and so partly that focus is there because they really are the focus of the clubs. Uh, uh, um, sporting destiny you know they shape it they choose the players you know we don't have drafts you know we buy that you know players are bought in the marketplace you know when a manager leaves he takes his team with him generally and and there's you know a core team of four or five but he's very much the figurehead um and and i guess that's that's just the system you know that's it's it's a little bit more um a little bit small scale, and I think that's but you know it, money into 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 televised sport in Europe has been significantly lower for a long period of time. That isn't the case now, but still, you know, it's still lower than I think NFL. You know, yeah. Well, this recent NFL rights deal is something we don't we don't have time to properly digest today, but it's something over a hundred billion dollars of rights fees. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, not between not many teams either. So as as I was watching the film and, and your focus on Jurgen, um, and this is in no way a criticism of your film, I wanna say that right now, but the timing of your film being released and the timing of kind of uh, COVID and then the world over people finding all kinds of, you know, subscription video services and searching for content to watch. I had watched season one of Apple's uh, series called Ted Lasso. And is that something great. you've seen? I haven't seen it yet and no, I it's great then. Okay. Well, I, you know what, we're not, we're not going to talk about it. All I'll say is I was 
I was happy to see the focus on on Jurgen in in your film because I just watched that with Ted Lasso, and uh, I do I do recommend <laughs> that you watch it. And you um and you may you you, you maybe chase it with uh, some kind of a an alcoholic beverage because uh, <laughs> it, it it's an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. So on the Backstage Project podcast, we like to ask our guests a few kind of standard questions. So I think we have a, a little bit of time to, uh, to ask you a couple today. So if you had to pick one moment in your career that you would call the most memorable, what, what would it be? Gosh, the most memorable moment in my career. I like to think it's still to come, but- uh, 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 I like that, I like that approach. <laughs> I, I, I suppose probably the most memorable moment was when we opened my Sachin Tendulkar movie in uh, Mumbai, you know, which is, you know, Sachin Tendulkar is an Indian cricketer who's considered to be a god, you know, and this was like, you know, we were opening it in two and a half thousand screens. The media wall was into the hundreds, if not thousands. Uh, uh, of, you know, we had an opening night with the movie playing five in five theatres in the same complex all the way through repeating five times you know we had that and we had every star of bollywood and the indian cricket team so that was a pretty wild moment yeah no that sounds amazing so thinking about your you know your trade what what you do your profession um what advice do you have for the younger generation who's who's looking to get into directing filmmaking um, well <laughs> it, 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 it it's a tricky road of ups and downs and you never quite know where you're going to be or where you're going to feel about any one day. I, I guess what I, what I always say to people is you kind of have to do it yourself. You know, you don't sort of rely on waiting for somebody to gift it to you. You know, you start making films by making films, not because somebody gives you the opportunity. Hopefully they will give you more opportunities off the back of it, but you kind of have to, just like if you want to tell a story, you have to write it down if you want to make a film. You know, we've all got smartphones these days, you know, make a film with some friends and experiment with the form. But also, you know, remember how difficult it is to really make the big stuff, you know. Um, you know, I'm sure you've got a brilliant idea, but there's lots of brilliant ideas. You know, it's like, have you got the best idea in the world ever? I, mean, I have these people say to me, but what if I have the best idea in the world ever? And I'm like, well, the best idea in the world is happening all the time to everybody, you know, it's like, it's when is the right idea for the right time and how long is it going to take from the idea? You know, we can imagine uh, a great painting in our heads, but can we actually paint the Mona Lisa? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the expressions, I think we've used it on this podcast before, you know, that, that ideas are cheap. And I, th I think that's uh, another way to really simplify the message for the audience, which is you got, you got to execute and you got to do it well. James, just really appreciate your time today. Congratulations on the film. I, I hope that, uh, you know, as COVID, restrictions loosen and more people can get into theaters and see it the way you and in, you intended the film to be seen um hope to see more to come and uh, hopefully some awards for you around that filmmaking endeavor thank you so much thanks for having me the backstage project podcast is brought to you by ready set go they help organizations create extraordinary digital products to learn more go to readysetgo.design if you would like to get in touch with mark and the team at the backstage project podcast please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.